Morning, church. Yeah, good to see you all this morning from the aged, yeah. Um, but uh, so glad that I, I have a, a living fossil to be able to uh, kind of just uh, be an example for me all the time. So it's absolutely great. There he gets up and he goes. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah. So I've got my watch here just to make sure that I'm going to be sticking to time uh, this morning. And it's really, really great to be able to be with you this morning. And happy Mother's Day uh, to all the moms that are here in the room as well. And so good to see you all this morning. And just want to thank God for the opportunity of being able to share God's Word with you this morning. So my name is Bruce, as Jeff has said, um, and part of the leadership team here at, uh, at Common Ground. I'm a marketplace elder. I'm married uh, 34 years to the beautiful Leonora sitting here in front. And uh, we have four beautiful daughters. I think three of them are scattered somewhere in the hall around here. They sit here, they're waving at the back over there. Hello girls, good to see you. And, uh, and I had my eldest one sitting here this morning uh, with us as well. And we have a granddaughter, Darcy. Uh, next week, Saturday. Big things happening in our lives. My second eldest daughter at the back there getting married. Yeah, so lots of things happening in the Balming household at the moment, yeah. But today we continue our message in the book of James and we are in week three. Uh, as you know, we have been in the book of James the past two weeks already with Ryan preaching and starting out our book uh, for us and God continued last week on the topic of wisdom. Uh, in all three of these messages, uh, there will be a similar thread that you'll pick up maybe of trials, of wisdom. And today's passage is going to be out of uh, James 1 verse 9 to 11. And our topic today is equal at the foot of the cross. Equal at the foot of the cross. And two weeks ago, Ryan laid the platform or foundation for our James series in that the more our culture still celebrates victimhood in and of itself, the more sad, depressed, and wounded we are. The more elevated we are, the more social currency we have. You get to use that as an excuse to have to do anything and you get to wallow. Yet James calls us to a countercultural approach that doesn't let us wallow, but calls us to grow through trials and even find joy in them. Say, so, wow, finding joy in trials. It's not liquor when you're suckling, eh? Not liquor, yet God calls us to rejoice. But we'll see how God's word really encourages us in that. And so last week, Garth reminded us that James tells us to ask God for wisdom because he is generous and gives wisdom to all without holding our lack of wisdom against us. The reason we don't have wisdom is because we either we haven't asked or we have asked but without genuine faith. And so our text this morning is from James 1 and we're gonna ask Kennedy to come up. Here he is. And Kennedy's just going to read for us our opening text together. Uh, 
Good morning, church. Today's reading is coming from James 1, verse 9 to 11. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Amen. Thank you, Kennedy. Thank you so much. So just to let you know, like I said in the first service, there's about 40 pages here. As I go along, you can count them. And you know when we come to the end. Okay, let's just pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. We are so thankful for the privilege of being able to be here, to be able to celebrate with moms, happy Mother's Day, to be able to, Lord, just enjoy this morning the wonderful time of worship that we're able to have from this band that just lifted up, oh Lord, to such an extent that this whole hall has been able to lift our voices in honour and praise and worship and glory to you. We just pray, O oh Lord, that as our voices were singing these songs, that it would have just risen to you as a sweet scent, Lord, and that you would have already looked down favorably and be pleased with what has already transpired this morning. And so we just want to thank you for being here and for your presence here this morning. Amen. I just want to give a, a welcome as well to three people that just came in today for the first time from Pretoria. And I just want to acknowledge Derek and Heidi and Eben that are sitting there. It's good to have you guys. They're first timers here as well at Common Ground this morning. I met them this morning and just want to say to them, warm welcome. Okay. Let the lowly brother boast. This is now the ESV version that I just want to read to you. Boast and rejoice in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation in being made low. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and fails and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in, his, in the midst of his pursuits. Our message this morning will be centered around three points. A lesson, number one, to those who are poor. And then secondly, a lesson to those who are prosperous or rich. And the third one, a lesson for all of our people. I kind of just had to put another P in there, just to let it flow, all right. So in this passage, we see how James has shifted from trials and wisdom to humility and riches. Trials and wisdom to humility and riches. And as God kind of used last week, we're gonna kind of go through parts of this passage to marinate, you know, these passages and scriptures to be see how they intertwine and intertwine into James' message this morning on the book of James. So let's get stuck in. Lesson number one to those who are poor. As we continue with the thoughts of last week, we see that James uses an interesting contrasting parallel. The only noticeable difference between the two groups is that the one group is poor and the other group is rich. They both get to boast in 
what they have. Though God honors the one group and God humbles the other. Important to note as well that both rich and poor Christians need to see themselves the way God does. Our question is, how well do we identify with these two groups of people? The Bible often uses poor and rich as a symbol of a good person and an evil person. We know the story of Lazarus who was poor, sitting at the rich man's table, eating of the crumbs of the table. And Lazarus died and was carried into, some versions would say, Abram's bosom. Others would say it would be into Abram's side. And the rich man also died. And he went to hell and was in torment. But I don't believe that this is the case here in this passage. In the context of chapter one, it sounds like James is referring to literal rich and poor, not referring to the evil side. He's referring more to wealth and to poverty. Also, it, he seems to echo some verses in Jeremiah chapter, uh, chapter nine. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. We see that Christians, we see that the Christians to whom James writes are those who have been forced to leave Jerusalem and establish new homes in Syria at the northern parts of Palestine. And it almost reminds one for a moment of those who were removed forcibly out of District 6 many years ago and had to go and find, because of the Group Areas Act, go and find the lodging place somewhere else. Go into the other areas and into the other suburbs and it was hard. People being ripped out of their homes and having to go and relocate somewhere else against their will. And many families to this day have not recovered from that forced removement. Most of the Christians would be facing tough financial situations as well as social dislocations and even ostracism, banishment or even isolation. But James wants them to look past, look past the worldly situation and take pride in their high position as God is the one who has exalted them. God has exalted the poor. He's just kind of done the paradox completely. The poor will be exalted. The rich will be made low and humiliated. A quick personal story. I grew up in a Christian home in Bridgetown, about six kilometers from here, semi-detached home, council house, two bedroom. And I shared a bedroom with five sisters. 
shame. Yeah. <laughs> I was the youngest. Can you believe it? On top of that, eh? Uh, two double bunks. That's what we had. But I got promoted out of the room into the lounge on the couch at about six years old. When I became aware of things, you know. <laughs> Until I was about 20 years old when I was the last one in the house with my parents. And then I got my next promotion, to sleep in the bedroom again. <laughs> and I had two double bunks there, all to myself, to be able to sleep on. I got married to the lovely Leonora, yeah? At the age of 23, and our beautiful bed was a second-hand sleeper couch that I got from my Austrian boss that I was working for at the time. But, you know, through all of these hardships and all of these difficult times, we still remember and sing of the goodness and the faithfulness of God in our lives. Because it hasn't been about us. It's been all about Him. And that's just my story. And I can tell you many more. But each one of you sitting here, you all have similar stories to speak about those moments when you just didn't have, in the way you grew up, and how God has brought you through in His faithfulness. Now, we fully understand that there can be differences between Christ followers financially, socially, intellectually, but positionally, in Christ, there is no difference. And as a Christ follower sitting here this morning, there is no difference whether you're in Bishop's Court or whether you're in Bontivale or Bishop Blavis. Doesn't matter. Before God, you are equal and you are the same. And now we fully understand that. We are all just positionally in Christ. There is no difference. The world and society divides people into the haves and the have-nots. But James is very practical and confronts this problem as he realizes that it divides and it destroys the fellowship of God's people. And this is an example of a trial that Ryan reminded us of about two weeks ago. And we have to consider sometimes the difficulties when you don't have money. Because we've all been there. We just don't have money. How do we get to pay the bills? How do we get to pay the bonds, etc.? and it does not just magically appear in your bank account. But we were reminded in verse three, two weeks ago, that the trials and testing of your faith produces perseverance. It produces steadfastness in that your endurance has a chance to grow. So the heart of the paragraph we have read is a contrast between a brother in humble circumstances and one who is rich. Both are encouraged to take pride and to boast. The humble brother in his high position and the rich person in his low position. Part of the song that we sang earlier on, and I hope it's part of what has maybe resonated over you this morning, and maybe it wasn't just words, let now the weak say, I have strength. 
by the spirit of power that raised Christ from the dead. And now the poor stand and confess that my portion is him and I am more than blessed. That's what we sang this morning. And so verse nine we see, as it were, a mandatory rejoicing. You may be poor or economically deprived. You may not have much. You may have very little. But James says, let the poor rejoice. Let them boast of a privilege or possession that they have in Christ. For the poor is exalted spiritually. Wow. He may be hungry, but he has the bread of life. He may be thirsty, but he has the water of life. He may be cast aside by people, but received by God. Maybe no home to call his own, but you have a mansion in heaven. He may be poor, but he has eternal riches. Reminds me of a chorus, very favorite chorus of mine that I used to know many years ago by a man called Cliff Barrows, very good friend of Billy Graham. The chorus was, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers and the rocks and hills, the sun and stars that shine. Wonderful riches, more than tongue can tell. He is my father, so they mine as well. And as a child of God, it's ours. We've been born into it, not because of who we are, what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. And the day that we invited Christ into our hearts, we became heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you that no matter what hardships or struggles or trials you might be going through, you have a heavenly father, a great father, who loves, cares for you. And so James encourages us, let the lowly brother rejoice and boast in his spiritual riches in Christ. A lesson to those who are poor. Our next point, a lesson to those who are prosperous or rich. Someone once said that in the economy of God's kingdom, the way up is down. It's a countercultural, completely countercultural, to what we have been taught and brought up within the world today, within the corporate world, and socially. We are taught that to have high earning power, to have stature, stature or status or recognition, to have authority, it is by working hard. And it is about trampling on every other person that you can in order to get to the top. But that's the worldview. Yet in God's economy, He intended us 
to do quite the opposite, for us to be servants, to be able to serve one another. And Jesus himself is the prime example. He was born a king, yet he left heaven to come down here. He did not go about trying to grab power or fame or anything like that. Instead, he presented himself as a servant king. And in, his, in this example and in his example of true servant leadership, this was born, this is where true servant leadership was born, in the way Jesus showed his servanthood towards others. He displayed that the lowest in the kingdom will be the greatest. And Luke 9 and verse 48 says that, whoever is the least among you is the greatest. In verse 10, it is a reminder that the comforts that riches brings is, uh, in this life is only for this life down here. But it will fade away. The warning to the rich is that if you put your identity into something that will fade away, you yourself will also fade away. Therefore, put your life and identity into things that will never fade away. When a man is rich before God, he goes to riches. James encourages us, before I say James encourages us, Proverbs 7, 19, verse 17 says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. And so James encourages his brother not to take pride in his wealth, but in his identification with who Christ is. Sometimes the prosperous person can have challenges and trials as well. Yesterday at our men's breakfast, uh, Ann Cox reminded us that there is a thin line between moving, between trusting God in faith for everything to then doing it in your own strength. There's a thin line between moving from trusting God in faith for everything to then doing it in your own strength. Why? Because we can easily take our focus off from God when things are going well. Isn't that a natural thing? That when there's money in our bank accounts, when the things are just rolling in, it's quickly when there's the wealth is there that we are just able to move away, focus on the wealth, focus on what we can do with that. And as we are doing that, we are more and more taking our focus and our eyes off from the Lord. It's a natural thing, but we are warned about it, that this will fade away. And so verse 10 says, but the rich, in that he is made low, let him rejoice that he is made low in his humiliation. We see that when rich people go through trials, they realize they can't buy themselves out of their troubles or trials. When the wealthy Christian goes through trials, he has to face the bankruptcy of worldly riches and depend on the gifts and grace of God. So, while the humble person rejoices in the provision of God, the wealthy person also rejoices in the provision of God the same way. But 
Both are equal at the foot of the cross. We are all humbled to the same point during the trials that we can only lean on God for help. Whether rich or poor, when we are going through those trials, we both only can lean on God for help. Money doesn't buy people out of their problems. And James intimates this in verse 10, that the rich people should be happy when they are made low. And as a flower of the grass, they will pass away. Wow. It reminds me of a beautiful time in Cape Town every year. Soon we're going to be having the winter rains. And then cometh spring. Many of us take a drive out uh, towards the West Coast Nature Reserve. Others drive as far as Namakulant to view the colorful, spectacular array of beautiful flowers posing in the sun in all its glory and splendor. The sight to behold is so amazing. You want to just take a hundred pictures at different angles, selfie, 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 you know, have the good background and paste it, okay? And becomes your new uh, profile picture. But for beautiful just for 20 days of September. And then it's all gone until the next year. Scorched by the sun, withered away into dry leaves, it just does not last forever. So verse 11 reminds us, the hot sun rises, the grass withers, the little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Isaiah 40, verse six to eight reminds us as well. A voice said, shout. I asked, what should I shout? Shout that the people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with the people. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of our God endures forever. The word of our God lasts forever. So the rich man should rejoice in his trouble, should rejoice in his humiliation if he turns him towards God because his trouble has caused him to separate himself from this dependency on his wealth and resources, as this will perish anyway. He will then live in the same fullness and dependence of riches that comes from Christ himself. You could have worldly wealth, but you could be spiritually bankrupt. A lesson to the poor a lesson to the prosperous or rich, and lastly, a lesson for all of us, our people. And so we are encouraged and should have a joyous attitude when we face trials. And I know it's hard. See, lekker as ons dier iets gaan wat ontsikkel nie. It's not nice. And the last person sometimes that we do call on is God. 
because sometimes we're trying to figure out how to get through it as soon as possible. But we are encouraged. Have a joyous attitude when you face trials. We should have an understanding mind of wisdom, a submissive will and a believing heart and a humble spirit that trusts not in our possessions, but in the provision of God. James calls us to see ourselves in light of Christ's cross, not in light of our financial status or our wealth or our poverty. His main call to Christ's followers is to build our identity in Christ and His finished work on the cross. Where rich Christ followers might find pride in their fading wealth, they are called to themselves before the cross. Wealth will fade and could never purchase what the cross has purchased for us. Where poor Christ followers might see themselves as less because of their poverty, they are called to see the high price that Christ has paid for them on the cross. Because the cross lifts up the lowly and humbles the proud. And one of the big burdens of James in writing this letter is to challenge Christ followers to make sure that their faith is a genuine faith. And James holds on to an underlying assumption throughout his teachings in the book. He assumes that genuine faith is only evident through obedience and godly action. And pastorally, he fears for people who think they have faith, who do not walk in obedience, or have no evidence of godly living in their lives. So who are the poor amongst us? Who are the poor amongst us? Is it the marginalized? Or is it the disadvantaged who don't have wealth, but have been wise in shaping and building a relationship with Christ despite their poverty and their circumstances? The widow's might, she gave her all, did not have the wealth and gave what she could and with a heart that was fully submitted to the Lord. And giving is always a matter of the heart. Is it those who are struggling financially, even now and today, battling through month to month, your annual increase in your salary is 5%. ESCOM gets 9.6% increase to keep the lights off. We've all been there. We've all been there. And just a personal story. I have a 20 liter bottle, a water bottle, that's in my closet as a reminder and as a memory for my days and as a family of our struggle. We've all been there. We've all have a story to tell. What I used to do is when I used to come home and I had some change in my tiki pocket, all those little coppers and the little odd silver little coin that is there, I would drop it into this particular bottle all the time. So that is what I just used to do. So it eventually starts piling up more brown coppers in there than anything else. But in the 90s, during the time of the 90s as well, you know, um, there were many times that uh, I had to 
turn that bottle upside down and count the coins out in order to buy milk and bread for the family. There were times when uh, my daughter Lauren reminded me earlier, 30 rand uh, in an envelope filled with coins. Because that is all that were in there. But those were the times of struggle. We had to persevere through, continue being faithful to God, and even see that coppers and little ones, uh, for, uh, God was faithful. Jehovah Jireh was the faithful provider and still is. Is it to the students maybe who are the poor? We have taken out student loans which need to be paid off for years after qualifying. Finding a job, paying rentals, car installments, uh, food, bank loans, and not to forget the clothes. Or is it the rich, the affluent, where they have wealth, but are poor because they lack in the spiritual wisdom? Their confidence is not in building and shaping a relationship with Christ, but more based on their wealth, bank balance, and how much they tithe every month, which makes up for their non-commitment of maybe being in a life group or surrounding themselves with God's people. I'm sowing in the kingdom on my terms. And sometimes... That happens in our lives. So as we land our meeting this morning, what do we build our identity on? Christ and his finished work on the cross or what we have or don't have? If you are a child of God, your true value, your true wealth is found in Jesus. If you are poor, be encouraged that God will one day exalt you with true riches in the heavenly realm. And if you are wealthy now, thank God and seek humility, knowing that your ultimate value is found in Christ and not in your possessions. We live in a consumeristic culture that believes the more we consume or have, the happier we will be. And yet James reminds us how untrue this belief is. Wealth fades but the cross stands for all eternity. The rich and the poor need the cross, both. And all people need the grace of God. There is no place more leveling than the place at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, we are all equal. At the foot of the cross, we are all one. At the foot of the cross, the blood of Christ is poured out for all. At the foot of the cross, there are no racial divides. And there's room at the cross for you. I just want to thank God and pray that he will bless his word to our hearts and allow these thoughts to wash over us and to pour over our lives today. And we're going to just transition into a time of communion.
a very special moment when we get to partake in this remembrance feast. In Philippians 2, verse 6 to 11, I'm going to read these verses out of the message version. And maybe you want to just close your eyes as I read it, just to allow the words of this passage to wash over you as well. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of the status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Lord, we thank you this morning, O oh God, for your majestic love towards us. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for us on the cross of Calvary. And whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. And even in this meeting this morning, there might be those, Lord, who are here for the first time or those who have maybe not even crossed the line of faith and are still exploring about you. Free salvation is being offered to them today to come to know and be in a relationship with you. We thank you, Jesus, for the time that you were in the upper room and you spent time with your disciples there and you broke bread, said, this is my body that is broken for you. Eat of it until I shall come again. And then you poured out the wine, O Lord, and the juice and said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this morning, Lord, we want to be able to do this in remembrance of you to take of this wafer, to take of this juice and to ponder within our hearts and say thank you for dying on the cross of Calvary. Thank you for the free salvation that you gave to us. We love you, Jesus, and we commit our lives to you. Amen. Let's partake. And then we're gonna hand over to the worship team. Thank you, guys.